Uh, we were going to talk today, our topic for today was to talk about the sacrifices in um, Judaism and the Jewish perspective of sacrifices. Just to, um, just to mention again, um, for those that um, missed the earlier clip that I had started, that this week is the second portion of the, um, this week is the second portion of the Torah. We start with the, uh, oh sorry, second portion of the book of Leviticus. We start with the portion known as Tzav. Um, the portion of Tzav speaks about um, sacrifices, um, continues from last week for the first portion of Leviticus, speak about sacrifices, as well as it speaks in some detail about the inauguration of the temple. And so um, as I had um, mentioned some time ago, we are going to be speaking today in detail about Jewish sacrifice. I had a request some time ago, we have spoken before about why Judaism has sacrifice. Our goal today is not, going, not to speak about the why, why Judaism has sacrifice, not to speak about um, <laughs> why God wants animal sacrifice, or what God gains out of animal sacrifices. Our goal for today is to speak simply how the sacrifices were offered, the different types of sacrificing sacrifices, and understanding Jewish sacrifice. So about a year ago, we already did a class where we spoke in detail about why God wants sacrifice, what God gains out of sacrifice, and why it's important. Our goal is not going to be speaking about the why of sacrifices, but our goal today is to really speak about the how of the sacrifice. How do sacrifices work? Um, what are sacrifices about? So sacrifices have always been a part of Judaism. The Torah tells us that Noah um, offered sacrifices after he um, came out of the ark. Um, so did later <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all offer animal sacrifices as well. Um, the Bidrash tells us that even going as far back as Adam, Adam, when he was created, God taught Adam the importance of offering animal sacrifices. And so Adam also offered animal sacrifices. And so, and this continued from the earliest times in biblical times that people offered animal sacrifices to God. We know other religions and other pagan groups offered sacrifices as well. Um, perhaps they learned it from us because uh, we had been and our ancestors had always been offering animal sacrifice. Now again, the reason for animal sacrifice is something that we've discussed already in a different class. What God gains out of animal sacrifice is something that we've discussed elsewhere and um, is on our, um, is on our um, podcast. You could get it on um, Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts or Spotify. So um, so the, in the desert, when Israel comes out of Egypt into the desert, Moses tells the people to build the Mishkan, the temple, temporary temple in the desert, um, also known as the tabernacle, where animal sacrifices are going to be a central part of the worship. Later, the Mishkan is going to go with them through the desert until they reach um, the promised land. Later, when they come into the promised land, <laughs> they're going to build a more permanent sacrifice a more permanent structure in Shiloh that's going to stand for over 350 years and then after building a more permanent structure in Shiloh um, they eventually are going to build a structure in Jerusalem where sacrifices are going to be a central part of um, 
where sacrifices are going to be central to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, and throughout the time, we had two temples in Jerusalem together lasting for well over 800 years. And um, throughout that time, the central part of the temple was the offering of sacrifices. Um, after the destruction of the temple, we have not offered sacrifices in the almost 2,000 years since the destruction. We stopped offering animal sacrifices. Um, because the Torah forbids us from offering sacrifices outside of the temple. In Deuteronomy, in Parshat Re'eh, the Torah tells us that once God chooses a permanent place for his temple, it is forbidden to offer sacrifices anywhere else. So we have not offered sacrifices for close to 2,000 years, not because we don't believe in sacrifice as a Jewish value, not because we don't want to offer sacrifice, but simply because we are forbidden from doing so without a temple and we have been unable to build our temple. And yet we still study the rules of sacrifice. We read about them in the Torah. We read about them in our um, oral teachings, in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, um, in the Midrash. We read about them in our prayers. We pray to God in all our prayers to rebuild the temple and restore our sacrifices. And sacrifices remain central to Judaism, even if not actually practiced today. It is still a central part of Judaism. The Mishnah, the first book of our oral teachings that records the gist of all of our oral tradition, has six orders, or six starim, six sections. One of those six sections is Kadashim, dedicated exclusively to sacrifice. So sacrifice is a very important and central part, and always has been, of Judaism. Even though not practiced, um, it's only for technical reasons, not having a temple that we do not practice it, but it is still remains a part of Judaism. Now, we are told that there are a number of different types of sacrifices. In general, sacrifices are split between animal sacrifices, um, offered from animals, bird sacrifices, and flower sacrifices. And so the animal sacrifice, which we're going to focus on today, were used in, uh, the animals that were used to sacrifice were one of three types of animals, only three types were used, either cows, sheep, or goats. Those were the only three animals that were used in sacrifice in the temple. Now, some sacrifices were what was called communal sacrifices. Communal sacrifices offered by the Jewish people as a people. They would be purchased by, and uh, the animals would be purchased by the temple treasury and offered by the Kohanim on behalf of all of Israel. As part of this group of sacrifices were the, was the daily sacrifice. There would be a sacrifice offered once in the morning and once in the afternoon, corresponding to those sacrifices in the morning and in the afternoon. We have morning um, services and afternoon services corresponding, morning um, prayers and afternoon prayers corresponding to those sacrifices. Um, and also they would have communal sacrifices on Shabbat, on holidays, and other special occasions. There were also, in addition to communal and public sacrifices, there were also sacrifices offered by individuals. Sometimes Jewish law required individuals to offer specific types of sacrifices. Um, sometimes they could bring 
Um, in other words, they were required to offer sacrifice in different situations. Sometimes people would bring sacrifices as a voluntary pledge. They would make their own pledge to bring a sacrifice as a gift to God. So what exact, what were the different types of sacrifices? So there are a number of different types of sacrifices, and we actually read about them in the Ezehu Mekoman. Ezehu Mekoman is chapter 5 of the Mishnah um, booklet, Mesichta of Zavachim. We read it every single morning before we begin our daily prayers. And over there we go through the list of all the different sacrifices. It is printed in your Sidor, it is in your prayer book. Um, I believe on page 24 of your prayer book and you can or 23 of your prayer book and you actually can you have the blue book and you can refer there if you want to see sacrifices in more detail. But to simplify it, make it easy to follow, there are three general categories of sacrifices. The Ola, the elevated offering, the Chatat, the sin offering, and the Shlamim, the peace offering. How did each one work? So the Ola, the elevated offering, was the most common type of communal sacrifice. Jews had to offer um, Olas at times during the pilgrimage, which we'll soon talk about more in detail. Every Jewish household had to offer an Olat Re'iyah, or at least one Ola offering on behalf of that household when they came to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage. One could also bring an Ola as an optional donation. So one can, or as an optional pledge to God, one can bring an elevated offering an Ola. The Ola was always a male animal. It could be either a bull or a, um, male, she a male sheep or a male goat. The Aram, uh, or a goat. The Ola animal would be, they would bring it to the temple. It would be slaughtered in the temple. And then the animal would be um, skinned in the temple courtyard. It would then be cut up, and the entire animal would then be burned on the altar. So the animal would be cut into pieces, and all the pieces would be brought up to the altar in the temple, and the entire Ola offering, the entire animal, was burned on the altar, um, burned to ashes. That was the first type of sacrifice. The second type of sacrifice was the chatat, the sin offering. The sin offering, um, there were some communal chataot, communal sin offerings. I should mention regarding the ola, that most communal offerings, including the daily sacrifice, were olot. But there were some kinds of sin, there were some communal offerings that were chatat, particularly on the festivals. They brought a chatat, a sin offering, every festival. And um, the, as well as people would offer their own chatat, their own sin offering, when having transgressed a mitzvah accidentally. So um, if a person accidentally transgressed a commandment, they would bring a chatat, a sin offering. It is not for transgressing any commandment, but it is transgressing a, a specific list um, of commandments, uh, for specific commandments, if one transgresses accidentally. They didn't realize they were transgressing. When they discovered that they had accidentally transgressed, they would have to bring a chatat, they would have to bring a sin offering. Now this sin offering 
there are special among the list of mitzvot for which you have to bring a sin offering is um, for desecration of the Shabbat. Someone accidentally desecrated the Shabbat, um, or um, for desecrating Yom Kippur is another example. Once accidentally desecrates Yom Kippur, one would have to bring a chatat, a sin offering. Um, the sin when the sin offering was brought to the temple. It was slaughtered in the temple courtyard. Again, it was skinned there in the temple courtyard. And then the fats of the animal, and there's a list of specific fats um, from the inside of the animal that had to be removed, um, together with the diaphragm and the kidneys and a couple other parts of the inside of the animal were removed. And those were offered and burned on the altar. The rest of the chatat animal was cut up and put aside and then at the end of the at the end of the temple service of the day, all the Kohanim serving in the temple that day would cook all the chatat, all the uh, would cook the animals um, that had been put aside, and the Kohanim would eat the meat in the temple courtyard that day. The third kind of sacrifice, the first one we had was Ola, the elevated offering. The second kind of sacrifice that we had was the chatat, the sin offering. The third type of sacrifice, the main kind of sacrifice, was the shlamim, the peace offering. Now the peace offering, there were communal peace offerings, but generally the peace offering was an optional sacrifice where individuals brought it when they chose to bring a sacrifice they wanted to um, they wanted to offer the they wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. The shlamim, the peace offering, was brought to the temple like the other offerings. The shlamim could be from any kind of animal. Um, the ola, as we said, was from a bull, a ram, or a male goat. The chatat, um, at least generally, with some exceptions, were a female sheep or goat. The shlamim, the peace offering, could be male or female cow, sheep, or goat. Um, and the shlamim would be offered, brought, the animal would be brought to the temple, it'd be slaughtered, it would be skinned, its fats and um, diaphragm and kidney and a couple other parts of the insides were taken and burned on the altar. And then the rest of, the, then the chest and the right thigh would be removed from the animal and put aside later to be given to the kohanim to take home, to eat with their families in Jerusalem. And the rest of the animal was, giving, was given back to the person who brought it. And they would take the animal home with them um, in Jerusalem. And they couldn't take it out of Jerusalem, but they would take it back to where they were in, staying in Jerusalem. And they would be able to eat the animal, the sacrifice, with their families for dinner. They would eat the sacrifice. They would eat the shlamim, the peace offering. So those were the three general types of sacrifices. The Ola, the elevated offering that was entirely burned. The um, Chatat, the sin offering that was um, eaten by the, the fats were burned and the animal eaten by the Kohanim. And the Shlamim, the peace offering, the fats were burned, the chest and thigh were eaten the Kohanim would take home and eat with their families and the rest of the animal, the person who brought the animal, would take home to eat with their families as well. Now, as you can imagine, the temple courtyard was the center of all of this sacrificial activity. 
So the temple itself was a big building that housed the menorah, um, a, altar for, a golden altar for incense, the table where the um, lechem apanim, the bread, was placed. Um, inside where it was an inner room called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant stood that nobody went in ever except the Kohen Gadol, the high priest on Yom Kippur. But around the building was a big courtyard. And in that courtyard stood a gigantic altar. The altar stood nine cubits high, which is 13 and a half feet high. So it's very, very high. There's a big ramp to go up to the altar. To go, the Torah forbids using steps to go up to the altar. So there's a big ramp to go up to the altar. And it was very, very large. Um, the, um, the, it, was, it was very, very large, the altar itself. Um, there were different stages of the altar, but the center part of the altar was about 36 feet by 36 feet wide or 24 cubits. It was extremely, an extremely large altar. On this altar were a number of different fires, but the main fire on this altar was a large fire where all the sacrifices were burned on the altar. So if somebody uh, near the altar were rings that were fixed to the ground that were used to hold down the animals during slaughter, there were hooks that were used to hang the animals on for skinning, and there were uh, marble tables that were used for cutting the meat. So when someone wanted to bring a sacrifice, they would purchase an animal, cow, sheep, or goat, um, and they would bring the animal into the temple courtyard. Along with every sacrifice, along with every animal, also came what was called nesachim, which would be a gift of wine, certain amount of wine, different sacrifice of different amounts of wine, and that wine would be poured down, to, down a hole at the top of the altar. In addition, they would also have to bring a flour and oil offering, an offering made of, of bread baked of flour and oil, which would also be burned on the altar. So they would come to the Kohen they would, with their animal, with their wine and their um, bread, and they would, in the temple courtyard, they will tell the Kohen what, the, what kind of sacrifice they're bringing, because different kinds of sacrifices um, must be, um, are done slightly differently. So the Kohen needs to know what to do. And then they would, take, they would put their hands on the animal's head in a um, part of the sacrifice called smicha, which literally means to lean. They would lean their hands on the animal, and they would state why they are bringing the sacrifice, whether it's to atone for a sin, whether it's to thank God for something specific, um, uh, that, that God has done, whether just a general donation, general gift to God, whatever they may be doing um, for which they are offering this sacrifice. So then they would, um, then the Kohen then, the, the co then slaughtered this animal, uh, the sacrifice, and they would catch the blood when they slaughtered the sacrifice in a cone. And they'd catch the blood in a cone, the Kohen would then take the cone full of blood, go over to the altar, and the blood would then be sprinkled on the sides of the altar. Different sacrifices were sprinkled in different ways on the sides of the altar. The animal would then be skinned right there in the temple courtyard and would be cut up. If it was an ola, an elevated offering as we mentioned, the Kohen would take the entire animal to the top of the altar to be burned. If it was a chatat, a sin offering or a shlamim, a peace offering, the fats would be removed and brought to the altar while the meat was either put 
aside for the for the chatat to for the kohenim to eat later, um, or for uh, for the chatat or the communal peace offering, or for uh, personal peace offering that someone brought, they would put the, they would give take out the chest and the thigh, the right thigh, and give the rest of the meat back to the person to take home and eat with their family um, at home for dinner. Now, the altar itself, as we mentioned, was a large, um, was very, very large. That was where all the animals were taken up the ramp in order to be burned. Um, it had a very, very large fire, and there were Kohanim whose job it was to manage the altar. And as pile of meats and fats would um, would pile up on the altar, it was the Kohanim's job to feed the fire, feed the meats and fats into the fire. Often, they did not burn everything during the day. They would burn it slowly. And so they would continue, um, even after the regular service in the, in the temple stopped, Kohanim would continue standing on the altar, feeding the um, sacrifices to the fire on the altar um, throughout the evening, um, all often going all the way till midnight. And corresponding to that, we have our evening prayers. Now, the temple courtyard was the center, as we said, where all the sacrifices were offered. And so, during one walked into the temple courtyard during the day, one would see a lot of animals, um, and there would be blood from the sacrificial, um, from the sacrifices, and it was, would not be clean um, during the day. There would, it would look somewhat like a slaughterhouse. However, every day the temple was cleaned thoroughly. They would end the service mid-afternoon, with the afternoon sacrifice, the daily afternoon sacrifice. And once they ended the service in mid-afternoon, generally, with the exception of the day before Passover, they would not bring any more sacrifices. Rather, they would begin to clean and scrub the temple. And every day they scrubbed down the temple. Um, they washed off the sides of the altar from the blood. They washed the floor of the temple. And there actually was, when they built the temple, they designed the temple um, in a way that they had a spring that came an underground spring that came up in the floor near uh, in a corner of the temple courtyard. This was actually a spring that came um, from um, that didn't want, didn't actually come up in Jerusalem originally, but um, actually came up in um, at the top of a mountain about two miles away called Ain Etam. And um, it came up, where it came up due to underground water pressure, the spring came up at a higher elevation than the temple courtyard. And therefore, um, they were able, using aqueducts, they were able to um, draw the water from that spring um, down, to, down the mountain and back up the mountain, because gravity will make water go down and back up, and um, back to up to the height of the elevation that it started and until it ended in, until it went through the temple courtyard. And um, it went through with both an entrance to the temple courtyard and an exit that they were able to plug. They were able to plug the drainage of this spring that passed through the temple courtyard. And when they did, that would flood the temple courtyard, allowing them to clean the courtyard. Um, and then they would remove the plug and that would then allow them to um, drain all the dirty water out of the temple courtyard. The, flow, the, store, the floor sorry, of the temple courtyard was made of stone, so it was easily cleanable. And if that way they would always clean the temple and the temple courtyard daily so that it was always perfectly clean. So though it was used for sacrifices, the temple always remained perfectly clean. We are told in general the city of Jerusalem was a 
perfectly clean city, unlike most cities in those days. Um, the city of Jerusalem itself, the streets were paved with stone. Uh, we've found, archaeologists have found the ancient stone pavements. Um, so there was no dirt in the city of Jerusalem. The streets were sweeped daily. There was a no garbage rule. It was illegal to throw garbage into the streets of Jerusalem, something that was common in most ancient cities where the people just threw their garbage out to, out to the streets. It was illegal to do so. Jerusalem was always a perfectly clean city, and so was the temple always kept perfectly clean. No rodents were ever seen in the temple, and the Mishnah tells us they never even saw flies in the temple. It was so perfect, it was kept so perfectly clean. Now the service in the temple, the offering of the sacrifices, um, as well as all the service in the temple, was done by the Kohanim, who were male descendants of Aaron. The Kohen who did the service in the temple needed to be physically perfect with no injuries um, um, or no physical defects in order to be able to serve in the temple. During the second temple period, we know that by then, Aaron's family had grown quite dramatically. In the um, Torah itself, he starts off with four sons. The two of them die, and um, the actual service in the temple is just Aaron and his two sons. Um, later, his grandchildren joining him. Um, but with time, the family of Aaron grew dramatically. In the days of the second temple, there were tens of thousands of Kohanim. They did not all serve together in the temple, but rather they were split into 24 families. And every week, another family had the opportunity to serve in the temple. It was called the Mishmar of the Kohanim. Every week, a different family did the service, a different Mishmar did the service in the temple. And in fact, from um, documents we found from the, that period, we know that today, Jews, um, or for the last 2,000 years, Jews generally often would um, refer to, in addition to the day when dating a letter or writing a date, in addition to writing the day of the month of the, the, in the Jewish calendar, they would often write the day of the week and naming the week by the weekly Torah portion. That's still done today. What we know in temple times, in addition to writing the date in the calendar, they would often write the day of the week and the week based on the Mishmar of that week, the Kohanic family that led the service in the temple that week. It was widely known which Kohanic family did the service which week. So um, each Kohanic family itself had thousands of members. So as a result, um, so as a result, they were then subdivided, the families, into seven sub-families called a Beit Av. And each day of the week, a different Beit Av of the week that that, that, that family's role to serve in the temple, it was the family's turn to serve in the temple, a different sub-family, a Beit Av, would actually do the service. So as a result of being divided and subdivided, every Kohen got to serve in the temple two day, one day every 24 weeks or about two days a year. They got to actually serve in the temple, and each Mishmar, each Beit Av, appeared to have hundreds of members, and the Kohanim would come, uh, members of the Beit Av would come when it would be their day to serve in the temple. Now, generally, um, the temple was always busy. There was always a daily sacrifice offered every day. People would regularly be coming to the temple to offer sacrifices. Um, there were always visitors, there were always tourists, people coming to visit the temple. However, its busiest time was during the pilgrimage. And during the pilgrimage, suddenly Jerusalem swelled. 
millions of Jews from around Israel and from the diaspora would come to Jerusalem and visit, Jerus visit Jerusalem for the um, pilgrimage. The pilgrimage of the Aliyah Leregel um, were for the three festivals, for Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So during that time, Jerusalem, which itself was already a very large city, would swell to millions of people would come to Jerusalem. During this time, people would offer their sacrifices. Firstly, every pilgrimage, every Jewish household was required to offer one Ola offering, Olatriya, one elevated offering, and one Shlamim, one peace offering, the Shalmei Chagiga, each pilgrimage. In addition, people who were either required to offer sacrifices due to sin or due to, to different Jewish, different events, such as childbirth, a woman who had gone through childbirth, or people who had certain illnesses would offer, would have to offer sacrifice. They would bring their sacrifices when they came up for the pilgrimage. Um, also, um, people would often um, pledge sacrifices, either in asking God for help for different things or thanking God for different things. People would pledge a sacrifice. When they pledged a sacrifice, when they came up for the temples for the pilgrimage for on the festivals they would then bring all their pledges so on the festivals the millions of jews that came to jerusalem brought hundreds of thousands if not millions of sacrifices during a seven day festive period both the festival of passover is a seven day festival sukkot is eight days and shavuot though it is a one day festival the um, there was a seven the, uh, the pilgrimage was seven days since one day was simply too short to be able to offer all the sacrifices so during the festivals the sacrifice the temple was extremely busy and during that time all of the kohanim were all able to offer to help off work in the temple there was no particular mishmar of that week um, all oh, there was a mishmar but they only offered the um, they only offered the regular sacrifices, but all the additional sacrifices from the pilgrims, um, the people that were Ole Leregel, would, the Ole Regal would be uh, offered by all of the Kohanim, and tens of thousands of Kohanim, if not more, would come to help work in the temple on the festivals. Now, the most notable sacrifice um, of the year, and this is written about uh, both in Jewish sources, we also have Greek sources that describe this, was the yearly Passover sacrifice that was offered on the day before Passover. Coming up for Passover, this is very relevant for us today. Now every year, most Jews would come to Jerusalem for Passover, one of the three festivals of pilgrimage, one of the three festivals of Shloshar um, Regalim, three festivals that Jews would come to Jerusalem. So they would come to Jerusalem, and everyone had to offer a Korban Pesach, a Passover sacrifice that had to be offered on the eve of Passover, on the day before Passover. And this Passover sacrifice was really the main part of the Seder. At the Seder, when they would sit on the night of Passover, in addition to eating matzah and marar, they would also eat the Passover sacrifice. In fact, Today, we are missing the Passover sacrifice to commemorate it. We have a custom to have a bone, a shank bone of a lamb or a chicken bone in many communities on our Seder plate to commemorate the Passover sacrifice that we are missing. And multiple times during the Seder, we mention that we are missing this crucial ingredient, this Passover sacrifice. So every year on Passover, every family would have to offer a Passover sacrifice. There would be one lamb per Seder. 
um, every Seder would have to have a lamb and you would have to make sure that you had enough people invited to your Seder that you'd be able to finish a lamb between all of you. You weren't allowed to leave any over, um, but enough, not too many, so that there would be enough meat for everyone to eat lamb for the Passover sacrifice. So there were hundreds of thousands of families in Jerusalem for the um, in, during the Second Temple, as described, for the Passover sacrifice. Each would have their own lodgings in Jerusalem where they would make their Seder. Um, everybody would purchase a lamb and they would then in the afternoon, um, right in the early afternoon, they would bring their lamb to the temple. And the Passover sacrifice was brought in three groups. So everybody would crowd in front of the temple courtyard. The gates were closed as the um, Kohanim prepared the temple courtyard. And then they would open up the gates and they would let the first group in until the temple courtyard filled up. Now, the Kohanim were prepared. What the Kohanim did is they had dozens, if not hundreds, of assembly lines um, set up all around the temple. Um, there would be um, dozens or hundreds of stations for slaughter around the temple courtyard. And um, each one had a line of Kohanim that stretched from the station for slaughter to the altar in the courtyard. And what would happen is people would crowd around or gather around the stations um, for slaughter or line up around them. And um, one by one, they would slaughter their Passover sacrifice. And the Kohen at the station would catch the blood in a cone, pass it to the next Kohen, and then he would take another cone from the Kohen. They would switch cones constantly, moving an empty cone um, to the Kohen who was catching the blood. And as the Kohen who was catching the blood moved the new full, co the new full cone to the Kohen next to him, um, who would then pass it on to the Kohen next to them, all the way to the Kohen at the altar, who would then throw it at the altar, and then they would pass back the empty cones. So they had an assembly line of passing full cones from the point of slaughter back to the altar and then a further assembly line where they pass the and then the, in the same line they would pass the empty ones back in the other hand back toward the Cohen who was uh, managing the slaughter station and that way they slaughtered one animal after the next as the Cohen um, would catch the blood and said to be sprinkled on the altar then after an individual had his sacrifice slaughtered and blood sent off to be sprinkled on the altar they would turn to the person next to them um, holding their slaughtered lamb in one hand, each one had a slaughtered lamb, and they would give each other their slaughtered lamb, and one person would hold it, while the other person would then skin the lamb. Um, they would then take out the fats, uh, which were put into bowls, that were again passed through these assembly lines down toward the altar, so that they could throw all the fats that had to be offered on the altar, throw it to the altar. And this was a process that took some time. As the, all of this happened, the Levites would stand on special steps in the temple courtyard and they would sing the Hallel. They would sing the verses of praise that we sing on festivals um, and play music, um, singing the Hallel during this um, process. When everybody had finished, everybody in the temple at the time had finished um, slaughtering and um, the, their animal skinning it and pulling out the fats, they would then all open the gates of the temple courtyard. Everybody in the temple courtyard would leave with their um, lamb. They would then take it home. They would roast it. 
uh, whole. It had to be roasted whole on a spit, and it would then be eaten that night at the Seder by the people in their Seder. And then once the first group left, they would then allow the second group to come in, and then they would allow the third group to come in. They never needed to do more than three groups. Um, the temple courtyard was very large. They could let in very, very large numbers at a time. And so they would, over three groups, they were able to sacrifice all of the, they were able to, uh, everyone was able to offer their Passover sacrifice. Today, of course, now after everyone left um, the temple, because they were slaughtering all over the temple courtyard. The temple courtyard would be very dirty. And as soon as everyone left, before the holiday began, the Kohenim would get to work. Um, they would, uh, they would um, block, plug the spring that went through the temple courtyard, filling the temple courtyard with water and scrubbing it down to make sure that it was perfectly spotless before the festival began. And then everyone went home. Everyone made their Seder with matzah, Marar, as well as the Passover sacrifice. Then, uh, so that was the most important, uh, that was most notable of all the sacrifices in the temple. Unfortunately, we no longer have the Passover sacrifice since we are not in Jerusalem and we don't have a temple standing, so we cannot bring the Passover sacrifice. However, we do, as we said, mention, have a remnant for it in our Passover Seder with the, um, we, uh, with the, um, bone that we put on our Seder plate and we do mention it multiple times about how we are missing the Passover sacrifice at our Passover, uh, at our Passover Seder. Not only do we have no sacrifice, Passover sacrifice, we don't have sacrifices at all given that our temple no longer stands. However, we do pray daily to God asking God to restore the temple and asking God to restore the sacrifices. Our sages say that now without a temple, with no temple standing, by reading about sacrifices in our prayers and by studying the laws of sacrifices, God credits us as if we are offering sacrifices. So by um, offering, we can, God can credit us as if offering sacrifices by reading about them and by studying them about them, which is why we read about the sacrifices every day in our daily prayers in the Ezeo Mekoman. Um, I believe it's on page 24 in our Blue Sitter. Um, now, though we don't actually have sacrifice, our sages say that we still have at least spiritually inner sacrifices in our own lives. Because sacrifice means giving something of value, an animal to God. Um, when even if we're not going to get anything personal out of it, giving something to God. It also means slaughtering an animal, in other words, destroying something, destroying a live thing, uh, which represents in ourselves, we all have animal tendencies within ourselves. Instincts, um, character traits, the natural character traits that are evil, that are bad. And we need to slaughter those. We need to stop those and control ourselves. Our sages say that any person can offer themselves and their own animalistic instincts as sacrifices to God. In rather, what doing what, uh, rather than doing what we want, we have to do what God wants of us. In Chassidus, we explain that there are specific types of animals that are offered in sacrifice. And the specific types of animals offered in sacrifices correspond to different character traits that many of us struggle with. The three animals we mentioned earlier are cows, sheep, and goats. Cows 
are high energy animals. That's why they were always the animals used in farming historically. That was their main use um, historically because they're very strong animals. High energy people. Some people have a lot of energy. They really, really want to do things and have a lot of trouble with controlling themselves. They have very strong, um, very strong drives or very strong feelings and have a lot of trouble controlling what they want. And so we have to learn self-control. Sacrificing our cow or our bull within us represents sacrificing our control, learning to control our urges, learning to control our emotions, learning the power of self-control. Um, there are a lot of silver linings or a lot of um, interesting things that we're learning, living alone, living in isolation as we are now. Um, but perhaps one thing, and I'm, I tell this to my children who are trying to do online school, is the need for self-discipline. When you're living among other people, when you're working among other people, it's very easy. You have other people watching you, you have um, schedules, you have to meet people at different times. Um, you've got to do certain things at the right time. It's very it's much easier. There are people forcing you. When you're alone, when you're working from home, working from your laptop, working from your phone, um, you don't have the same constraints. And therefore, by extension, you don't have the same external discipline forced upon you. And so it's really for all of us, we need to now to be productive, we need to have self-discipline, get up early in the morning, um, get, um, get going, get things done. And so perhaps this is a time where we really can train ourselves to overcome the cow within us, the bull within us, to learn self-discipline, to discipline ourselves. The second kind of animal that was offered in sacrifices was a goat. The goat represents people that are um, stubborn. People that are stubborn or people that are um, cold, not motivated, not energized. Some people are just lazy. It's hard for them to get going. The bull is people who have, are too energized or have trouble controlling themselves from doing what they want to do. The goat is the opposite, is the people who are struggling with, um, who are lazy, struggling to be motivated. They just sit there, they're not motivated. And, um, or people that refuse to concede, refuse to change their minds, refuse to give in. And so we need to learn to get up and do. Get, if something needs to be done, just get up and do it. Not to sit back, not to be lazy. Procrastination is something that we all struggle with. Um, and to be effective, we need to get up and get going. The, um, the um, Shulchan Aruch code of Jewish law begins by telling us that when one wakes up in the morning, one should wake up with a roar like a lion. Not literally, you don't have to war, roar and wake up the, your other members of your household, but it means rather than getting up all groggy and slowly struggling to start your day, one should jump up and be energized every day to get going and um, work hard and do what is expected of us. And then the third kind of animal that we struggle with is the sheep. The sheep is the meek ones that are just following the crowd. It is hard to stand out of the crowd. It's hard to do something different when everyone else is doing something they shouldn't be doing, or maybe when there's something specific that I have to do that nobody else is doing that makes me look different. It's hard to be different. It's hard not to be like everybody else. So the sheep teaches us to get up, be, um, uh, to don't be afraid of what others think of you. Don't be afraid of what others say of you. 
um, sacrifice that sheep within you and um, do the right thing. So whichever trait we may struggle with, we have to offer it to God, putting God at the center of our lives. And together we can grow and sacrifice to God, hoping and praying that God will rebuild our temple, restore it as before, so that we can once again bring sacrifices before Passover. This year, hopefully, we will be able to bring our 